Hello and welcome to the Championship Pod on the World Football Index. This is going to be uh, probably a monthly pod, and it's about you know one of the maddest and competitive leagues in the in the world in the form of the Championship. And with me to discuss the opening month of the season are two guys that are on the opposite side of the of the divide in England's second city, uh, Birmingham. Um, first up is is Thomas, a Birmingham City fan. How are you, Thomas? I'm alright, thank you Adam, and you? Yeah, all good, thanks. And um, Tom, a Villa fan? Yep, I'm, uh, for my sins I'm a Villa fan, but you know, hopefully we won't let those those rivalries spill over into full-out arguments on the pod, so yeah, let's let's keep it civil. <laughs> oh, well, well, done. well <laughs> I, 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 th- I think we were discussing pre-pod that, you know, none of us are particularly happy bunnies at the moment with how the first month of the season's gone. All three of our sides, I'm a Norwich fan, so all three of our sides um, are in the bottom half of the table. But we're going to start with arguably the biggest club in the division, and that's Aston Villa, and their underwhelming start to the campaign. So last season, you were big favourites to go up. Your season never really got going, did it? You, you, you seemed, when Steve Bruce came in, you seemed to go on a little bit of a run, but that petered out. Um, but there was big expectations this season that you were going to start strongly, but uh, that hasn't really um, unfolded yet, has it? No, it's not been the the start to the season we'd like. I think uh, last season, many Villa fans were, well, I think their expectations weren't too high. We, we realised just what a mess our club was in. And I think everyone would have accepted just a, a season to stabilise. Uh, you know, we got off to a, a poor start under Di Matteo last season. Uh, a lot of late goals being conceded. Bruce came in, like you said, and, and turned things around, went on quite a good run brought in quite a lot of players in January and and then they took a bit of time to bed in and then we kind of had a good run after that and so there was there was positivity going into this new season obviously we've we've got a lot of money we've spent a lot of money and we kind of feel like now we've got that championship squad uh, to kick on John Terry's arrival in the summer was an, an, you know a big big signing for the championship and for and for us um you know despite his advancing years and you know we've, we've even just brought in Robert Snodgrass on loan as well. So we've it feels like we've really ad- addressed the squad, and um, we've 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 got the team that has got really no excuses to be at least getting into the playoffs with the with the amount of players um, uh, that we've got on our books at the, at the moment. Um, so yeah, it's it's been a, a bit of a pity the way things have started. Basically, our terrible away record. Is, is continuing. Uh, we lost away at Cardiff and also at Reading. And we drew on Friday night against Bristol City. Um, so we've only picked up one win, and that was against Norwich, which I'm, I'm sure you'll uh, you'll talk about more later. But yeah, so it's been a bit of a mixed bag. Um, done all right in the, in the Carabao Cup. It, it's, it's a weird one, I think, because it's such early days. There's still plenty of time to turn things around. We're not getting too too worried just yet i mean the patience with bruce might run out quite quickly but you know if we if we sort of win a couple of games then we'll we'll quickly be catapulted up to the top half so i'm I'm trying to keep positive at the moment we've got and we've got you know some some good young players breaking through such as andre green and keenan davis who um i think uh, you've been quite impressed with as well right adam yeah, well, against Norwich, Keenan Davis really bullied our, our back four, um, especially our two centre halves um, on the day. The two German centre halves we got, which I'll talk a little bit about 
um, later, a little bit more about later. But Thomas, how, how do you feel about Aston Villa's start to the season? You know, there's been big investment there on the claret and blue side of Birmingham. Are you surprised to see them struggling once again? I mean, yeah, we expected all the time. I mean, you mentioned John Terry there. You also, I've also got to mention people like Glenn Whelan, uh, El Mahamedy from Hull. These big players that were coming in. Lots of, I mean, Glenn Whelan, especially El Mahamedy in the championship, been a, a flying right back for a long time down there now. But it really hasn't got going, and I find that quite surprising. And quick question for Tom, really. You mentioned Steve Bruce there and the pressure on him. I, I think it's ridiculous, by the way. I think, you know, he's been there a few months, really. And, it's, and like you said, the club's been rotten to the core for a long time. And, you know, you can't just keep sacking managers. I mean, how many managers have it been in the last few years? Now you've had Lambert, Gard, Sherwood, Di Matteo. There's probably a few others that I've forgotten there. But I'm just thinking, I've heard comments from other Villa fans, Tom, and they think that Bruce doesn't quite know his best team yet. Would you go along with that? I think there's definitely a case for that. We we have been hampered with a few injuries to key players, such as Jonathan Codger, who was, who was great last season for us, and Mila Yedinak's been out, and he really anchored that midfield for us. Jack Grealish picking up uh, an injury uh, before the season started. I think he's out for about three months. So th- I think that's impacted um, our sort of pre-season a little bit. And, you know, we had to rely on Gabby Agborn Lahore up front for a few games. So th- there is the sense, but it seems like it is starting to come together now. You know, we've we've brought in Josh Onomer as well on loan from Spurs, and he was absolutely brilliant against uh, Bristol City. And I think we're s- starting to see, you know, the team that Bruce is going to go forward with. I mean, I agree, certainly stability, something we've been lacking for a long time. I think the um, the issue has, you know, the issue has been that Bruce has been, I know he hasn't been there too long, but we kind of feel he, he's he been there long enough now to kind of know what his first 11 and sort of start trying to establish some kind of playing style. There's there's times, especially away from home, where we see, you don't really seem to have a plan. You know, it's, it's all right when you're winning games. Um, and I think we were relying on Codger's kind of individual brilliance a lot of the time to, to get us those victories last season. But when things aren't going so well, then that kind of poor style of play is being shown up. So I think most, most Villa fans expect Bruce to, you know, he's a seasoned, seasoned manager at this level. He's won promotion four times before. And I think we're just, yeah, there's a, that sense of underwhelming performances as well as um as well as the results not going our way so i think there should be a bit more time with him but um i'm I'm hoping now that he's effectively got you know his established first team while those players are injured we should hopefully be able to kick on and um yeah it is it is uh, troubling times though that um the pressure is mounting this early on in the season um how how about you over in uh in, in birmingham how, how do you how do you see your season going? Um, well, a lot depends on the last couple of weeks of the transfer window, really. We've had big problems getting in. I mean, you've mentioned the, the money side on your side of the city. We've got improved investment now after the last few years of financial meltdown, really. And so we can pay a, pay a bit more. And actually, I'd quite like to ask you about the financial side of Villa in a minute. I mean, Redknapp's desperate for a striker. We've signed a couple of players. I mean, I'm looking at someone like Isaac Vassell from Luton Town, very highly rated. Made a couple of substitute appearances. Looks very good. Um, we've signed a couple of fullbacks as well. Uh, Bramall from Arsenal, um, the guy who was working in a car factory about a year ago. And then we signed Carl Jenkinson, of course, at England International, but he dislocated his shoulder uh, when we lost his Reading on Saturday, which is quite annoying. I mean, he's looking at going three at the back, which I'm not quite convinced by because we don't really have that much pace up front. Ideally, what we really need is a creative midfielder. And we had Ravel Morrison on trial o- over the summer, 
but Lazio wanted a, a big cut of the wages and I don't think we were prepared to do it. But Redknapp, he's trying to get the players in, but and everyone thought when he arrived, you know, this guy this is a guy with a big reputation, we should be getting players in, but you know, it's hard to attract people to, to Birmingham City to be honest, because because the wages are comparatively low to the rest of the championship. I mean you look at Villa, you look at other clubs like Fulham as well, spending a lot of money. You'd much rather go and Lund- the London appeal is a big one, of course. But I think the money thing is a big, big meltdown. Well, it's a bit of a mess, really, in that we can't attract players. Yeah, there, there, there was a kind of a lot of um, amusement online on, on kind of social media when Birmingham lost to Burton last week. Redknapp came out with this kind of incredible rant, didn't he, after the game? Oh, it was, yeah. I mean, but what was interesting as well now, Adam, after that Burton game, we were 1-0 up in that match at halftime. And just a quick thing for the listeners... In all of our, the last three games, so Burton, then Bournemouth in the Carabao Cup, and now Reading on Saturday, we have been either level or ahead at half-time, and we've gone on to lose all of those games. So the second-half performance has really got to sort itself out. And Redknapp was again similarly angry on the Saturday after that Reading defeat. Yeah, but doesn't that suggest maybe um, some tactical errors from Redknapp as well? Maybe he should start kind of shouldering some of the blame as well. Yeah, there's been comments on social media that perhaps he should stop hiding behind the players. I mean, I can sort of see that argument, but, you know, the, like uh, we mentioned pre-pod, I talked about that Reading game on the Saturday, and we conceded some really soft goals, and the players' heads went down, and it's just a bit pathetic, really. And I don't know, like I mentioned earlier, I, Redknapp's going with a three at the back, and we actually had that three at the back system under Zola last season, so I think it's a bit of a curse at Birmingham. I don't think Birmingham should ever play a three at the back, because it's just, it's never going to work, let's just scrap it. I mean, we played a 4-2-3-1 under Rowett, I quite like that, we switched to a four at the back on Saturday in the end due to injury, but yeah, I mean, the tactics, I think they're a bit funky, but also you've got to bear in mind, tactics are all very well and good, and you can have the best tactical system in the world, but if you don't have the players to suit it, or good, good enough players, then you're not going to win games. But, um, Tom, going back to what I said earlier, I wanted to ask about the financial side of Villa, like I said. Now, Dr. Tony Gia sort of got a big reputation on social media, seems to answer everybody's questions. And personally, I'm not a big fan of sort of CEOs coming out on social media. We had it at Birmingham with Panos Pavlakis, and it was quite funny, actually, because he was very active on social media. And then as soon as things started going wrong in Dezola, he was, he was, he was hiding. But what do you make of Tony Gia's sort of Twitter activity? Do you think it's it's good or do you think it actually undermines the management a bit yeah it's a tricky one really because um when he, when he first came in and he was just constantly on twitter i was kind of thinking oh no this is just definitely kind of setting us up for a fall and in a kind of donald trump way i was like you know why, why are you on twitter so much then there's plenty of other things that need attention but um i think one one thing that they've the the, the new management structure and you know the board have, have realized is there was such a disconnect between fans and uh, Randy Lerner, where we just heard nothing from him for absolutely ages, that I think they've kind of, I think that's their mentality behind trying to get a bit more involved with the fans. And, you know, they've, they've um, I think they've built, built a few more bridges. I mean, sometimes it looks a bit silly and there's been some sort of unnecessary am- amount of Tony Gia on Twitter sometimes. But he, he, he was kind of trolling for a, for a lot of the early part of last season until it sort of went badly, you know. Yeah, there was there was a little bit of beef with uh, Ian Holloway after he predicted that we would uh, finish quite low. But then when those predictions started to turn out to be quite accurate, I think he um, I think he's reined it in a little bit. Um, so I think, yeah, I think he's he's finding a, a balance at the moment so I'm not a huge fan of it but it's you know it's nice to see some interaction and I think yeah they're they're just trying to sort of maybe move into the 
the the modern age really and kind of in, um use social media and and stuff like that and the new sponsors Univet have, have put on quite a few events for some of the fans and some of the um the, you know the club bloggers and stuff like that so um I, I think there's positives to it but yeah like you said that there can be some uh some re- real uh, dangers i think and someone managed to get him to sort of say happy birthday to jimmy savile or something like that as well so yeah plenty of plenty of pitfalls to be to fall into but i understand uh that your two teams norwich and birmingham are set to play each other pretty soon how, how do we how do we think that's going to go well yeah so after the international break we're facing what looks to be kind of a, a crunch match really for for our new management and kind of new setup in general um, because the fans are already losing patience after our 4-0 thrashing at Millwall um, at the weekend. But yeah, I, I think I need to give some background to start with because you know Norwich aren't a, aren't a club which gets a lot of attention from the national media. So you guys and uh, our listeners might not know exactly what's gone on there over the last few months. Yeah, basically after the failure of last season and when it became clear that we weren't going to make the playoffs and get back to the Premier League. The club decided to make uh, significant changes to how the club operates. The first of which was to bring in Stuart Webber from Huddersfield. Um, he, he's credited with bringing over um, David Wagner, the current Huddersfield manager, and also a couple of the key German players in their side. Webber at the time you know, got quite a bit of credit for that. And so he, he came to Norwich as our sporting director with a real reputation kind of for an eye for both coach and player talent. And in the postseason, he appointed um, a German head coach by the name of uh, Daniel Farker. And then really in the summer, we saw the club paying the price for not getting back to the Premier League at the first time of asking. Because we don't have a rich benefactor, it meant that we had to sell players such as Johnny Howson and Jacob Murphy for quite big fees. You know, they would have been key players this season if, if they had stayed as they were last season. And we also released, you know, a number of high earners um, such as Sebastian Bassong and, and John Ruddy. And uh, we also sold uh, Graham Dorans to Rangers. He, he wanted to leave. He didn't want to be part of the kind of the new project either. He was desperate to go back to Scotland. You know, we did have to bring in quite a number of players. So one of the reasons, you know, Weber was brought in was so that we could do it kind of a bit on the on a budget and kind of scout talent in Germany, in, in the lower divisions in Germany. And um, a bit like what Huddersfield did, I think, uh, a year, 18 months ago. And um, hope that the same trick works twice. But at the moment, it's it's been a bit of a disaster, to be honest. Um the players we've brought in don't don't look up to standard. At, at this moment in time, I'm prepared to give them more time to settle. Our two centre backs, especially, look look a little bit too physically weak for 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 the championship. Uh, Zimmerman and uh, Franca, uh, both of them really struggled against Aston Villa. Um, Zimmerman was dropped for the Millwall game at the weekend and uh, Franco, his, his German teammate, didn't do much better either. It's really worrying. Although we are missing a couple of key players, like one of the big blows in pre-season to us was the loss of um, the loss of Alex Pritchard. He got injured in pre-season and he was looking our 
our best player at the end of the last campaign. So it was a huge blow to lose him, especially as it looked like Farker, our manager, our new head coach, it did look like he in preseason he was trying to build the team around him. In my opinion, but yeah, when, when Farker came in, we were kind of promised sort of a an interesting style of play, possession football, attacking football, kind of a high press, and we saw this on the opening day of the season against Fulham, and it was really exciting to watch. I was so pleased with how we looked. It looked like we had a clear game plan. And we completely deserved the draw. You know, it was a game which became sort of famous on social media for the crazy celebration of Nelson Oliveira, who came off the bench to score the equaliser. You know, he went running over to, to Farker, the head coach, taking his shirt off and showing him, showing his shirt to, to Farker in his face. You know, that ended up being kind of a delicate situation that Farker had to deal with. So I do feel some sympathy for him there because I don't think that helped us in the next couple of matches. You know, we got beaten 3-1 at home by Sunderland in the next match and I think that drained some of the com- confidence out the out the team because although we beat QPR a few days later, it was a workmanlike performance rather than anything to write home about. And for me, the style of play, which we saw, and the idea of play and the philosophy that we saw on that in pre-season and on the first day against Fulham wasn't there. So when we went into that game against Aston Villa, where Farker made some bizarre team selection team selection choices as well, we just looked like a side which was confused and lacking identity, and with players quite simply not up to the job. And we saw that again against Millwall. So yeah, there's there's a lot to work on during this international break, and he's going to be without a couple of key players as well like Oliveira's got a call up to the Portugal squad Wes is obviously Wes Houlihan is obviously off with Republic of Ireland he's a key man for them he is going to be without a few players to work with in this international break so I'm not I'm not sure if that will do us many favours or not really and it's a, and two weeks is a long time to sort of mull over in a kind of depressive state about losing 4-0 away to Millwall who were good at what they were doing, but you know, if you put the two sides, line them up on paper, you you would think that well, Norwich Norwich should win that game. I do worry that maybe Farker, our head coach, has kind of underestimated this division a little bit in terms of the physicality of it and also the quality of it, the competitiveness. I think the most disappointing thing for me overall is that pretty much every team we've played so far have outrun us. You know, so the basics of the game aren't there. You know, well, I I don't know if you guys saw me earlier on Twitter, but, you know, I, I joked, you know, we're, we're top of the league in the real quiz, which is pass accuracy in the division, where we've got the 82.4% as the best in the division, uh, just ahead of Fulham. But, you know, both Norwich and Fulham really have had, you know, well, Fulham got a win at the weekend, but... Both have had poorish starts, really. Yeah, there's many ways to win promotion from this division. I, I don't, I don't think that possession football, do, you know, definitely doesn't work at this level. But you do need the players, the right kind of players, and you probably do need quite a bit of time as well to work with those players and and to get some cohesion in, into your team. Um, I don't, I don't know if you guys agree with me on that. Yeah, I mean, Adam, what I'd say is, do you expect Farker to change his style? Because, I mean, I'm sure we'll come on to it later, but you look at the top two at the moment. I mean, I know it's only five games in, 
that Cardiff and Ipswich very sort of old school managers. And I've always thought that this sort of, I mean, like you said, they brought Farker in because it worked with uh, Wagner. But like you said, you can't necessarily just repeat the same tricks all the time. So do you think Farker will actually change his style or do you think he might be a bit stubborn? Well, that, that really is the big question at the moment. What I will say is that the style of football Farker plays is very different to how Wagner played. Wagner was a lot more kind of on the, on the counter-attack where Farker looks to dominate games with the ball. And, you know, in a couple of the games where we didn't get a positive result, you know, he's come out afterwards and kind of boasting about kind of the possession stats and saying nine times out of ten this would win us a game. Maybe that's true in the fourth division of German football where we plucked him from. You know, he was was the head coach of the Borussia Dortmund reserves, basically. And that that might be true at at that level, but... As, as we keep saying, the championship is such a competitive division and there's many different, you know, we've seen so many different ways of winning promotion from it, from this division over, over years. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm certainly not a fan of, of how Warnock or McCarthy, uh, play the game. I, I, and I don't think that they will last either, Cardiff or Ipswich up there. Um, I think both their squads don't have enough depth to them. Um, so it'd have to, they would have to be pretty lucky with injuries to stay up there. Yeah, and and certainly in the case of Ipswich, I think it's well, I, I just don't see them having the quality even in their first eleven really to maintain a challenge at the top of the league. And I think we saw that yesterday in their match against Fulham. You know, it sounds like they were comfortably beaten two 0 in that game and and played off the park. Um, I, I think the fixture list was very kind to them at the start of this season, and and they did do well to. To win those games, so credit to them. But yeah, I, I don't, I don't see them staying up there. But maybe that's just my Norwich bias. What do you guys think? I think you're right when it comes to Ipswich because I mean, financially they've they've not got a lot to play with there, and they've they've made some interesting signings up front. You know, Garner, Waghorn. You know, they're they're some there's some players who can do well at this level, and, and they've got some interesting youngsters coming through as well. But I just don't think the depth of squads quite there for the for the entire season. So I think they just hit the ground running, had some kind fixtures, and uh, but I can imagine them fading away. I think I think Cardiff could surprise people and hang around a bit a uh, bit long longer than everyone's expected because uh, when I saw them play Villa off the park, they they were very impressive. Uh, Zahor up front looks looks a good player and. Junior Hoylet was was very good. Mendes Lang looks like a good signing as well, um, having bounced around the divisions a bit. But yeah, I think it's more the teams maybe just below them, such as Leeds and, and Wolves, who who could be contenders there. I, I thought that Fulham would be a challenger for the title this season. They were they were very good last season, and you know, at the time of recording, they seem to have kept quite a lot of that squad together. So yeah, they're, they're the teams that I'm looking at. I think Hull... They're a bit erratic, but they've got goals in them, even uh, with Abel Hernandez getting injured. And uh, their, their young player, Bowen's been, I think, one of the revelations of the of the start of the season. Thomas, what do you, what do you think, uh, or who do you think uh, are going to be some of the contenders for the title? Well, you talk about Hull there, and it's obviously, from my point of view, from the Russian perspective, you know, I mean, Adam, you know, I do the Russian Football News podcast on World Football Index, and they've got... Li- I was just about to ask you what you thought of Slutsky's uh, start there. Well, I mean, Slutsky's got a, I mean, he had a bit of a bad time with the national team at uh, Euro 2016, but he's got a very good track record in club football. 
Cisco won a lot of titles under him. Always built a very solid backline, so it'd be quite interesting to see how he copes with that front line. He's, to be honest, he's always had very little to work with because Cisco have never spent that much money. But anyway, moving back to sort of the championship discussion regarding Hull and Slutsky, reading online, I mean, the, tr- the ownership troubles, I, was, I mean, you could say this for pretty much most championship clubs. The ownership troubles really do hamper them. And, you know, the ownership there, I can't remember the guy's full name off the top of my head, Al Halaksa Assam or something like that. Sorry, sorry if I offended anybody there. But, you know, he's not invested in the club, and they've just lost Abel Hernandez, of course, to a big injury. That's a big blow for them. But I wanted to look back at Ipswich as well that you mentioned. We've associated McCarthy with very sort of defensive solidity, but it's actually been a bit of the opposite this season, where they've really been outscoring opposition. But we played them on opening day, and I think I agree with what you were saying there, that actually I think they got a bit lucky on the opening day. We just switched off for a minute. I mean, that's that's happened quite a lot this season. Though. We, sw- we switched off for several minutes, and they, they got the goal. So... I mean, maybe the fixture list was kind as well, but those young players as well, Andre Dazel, he got injured on opening day, so that's a big loss. I mean, the one thing I'd ask you guys about is somebody like Middlesbrough spent a lot of money, I think it was £30 million on strikers alone, but at the moment they're sitting down in ninth. And you'd expect them to be ripping up the league at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's early days yet. A couple of little wins in a, in a week can sort of put your entire season in a different light, you know. Um, so I think that's that's one thing, a bit of a cliche with the championship. But you know the games come thick and fast, and f- fortunes can quickly change. Uh, you you would expect them to be up there. I think um, Gary Monk's a good manager, and with that squad, you know the Asombolonga at this level, if he can stay fit, is is probably the best striker in the division. And yeah, I would be expecting them to do better. But you know they could uh, by this time next well in after the international break we could we could see them jump up and and be in the playoffs so they should certainly should be one of the the favorites as well to go back up but yeah it's not not being the best start and i think it's another case of premier league clubs dropping down and realizing that it's it's not going to be uh, an easy walk in the park really yeah well middlesbrough bought um, johnny Howson off of us and and yesterday when i was feeling depressed about norwich's performance I was missing Johnny Housen because for me, you know, from what I've seen over the years, certainly in this division, he's one of the best um, box-to-box midfielders around. I looked up to see how he was getting on at Middlesbrough and and most Middlesbrough fans were slating his performances so far. So um, it looks like he's missing Norwich and and Norwich are missing him. I I think, again, Middlesbrough, you know, they've got a a new head coach there in, in the shape of Gary Monk. And his style of football is pretty different from Karanka, who they had before, who for me was, I think we were talking pre-pod about Reading playing boring football. Karanka side, Middlesbrough side, was that was a that was a dull, dull side as well. Yeah, I, I think it's going to take Middlesbrough a little bit of time to get going. But yeah, I, I think I think they're, they're probably going to come good uh, at some point. Like I was saying, I think it's still early days really to draw any firm conclusions you know you've got as you're saying you know Norwich are bossing possession and and passing but are struggling and I think Brentford have had more shots per game than anyone else but just don't seem to be scoring so yeah there's some there's some weird things going on at the moment and I think it's going to take another five games before we really see the the lay of the land really um but yeah, I mean, who, who, do you think there's any sort of surprise teams that that might uh, sort of sneak up into pr- uh, promotion contention? I mean, Preston are a side that have have impressed me. I, th- I think a lot of people underestimate them, and even though they're 
not scoring basically any goals at the moment. Um, they're they're ba- barely conceding and, and they're just sitting in seventh at the moment. So, yeah, I was wondering what you thought of maybe some of the less glamorous names in the division. Well, yeah, just going off the back of Preston there, you know, it's um, it's it's funny from a Norwich's fan perspective because for one thing kind of Norwich fans agreed on last season was, you know, we look great, especially at home attacking, but under Alex Neal, we just couldn't defend to save our lives. But, you know, with five games played so far this season, Alex Neal's Preston have got the, have got the best defensive record. So yeah, that, that's uh, that's quite bizarre to see, really, from a Norwich fans' perspective. But yeah, if if they keep that solidity up at the back, but yeah, I could, I agree with you. Alex Neal has won promotion, of course, from this division before, even though he came in halfway through the season. So you know, he he's he's not a novice at this level. But yeah, the fact that they've only scored two goals in five games and are seventh is is quite funny to is quite funny to see. But um. Yeah, four clean sheets. You can't um, can't turn your nose up at that, really. Yeah, one time I'm, I'd mentioned in there is Derby. I mean, looking at Gary Rowett, of course, an old Birmingham manager, a very good manager in this division. He knows how to get the best out of his players. Doesn't necessarily play the most attractive football. Plays on the counter. He generally did at Birmingham, but I think that was a lot to do with the financial issues that we had. Couldn't quite get the players in, but they've made some very shrewd signings. I look at somebody like Curtis Davis. He's a very good player. Someone like Tom Huddleston in midfield as well. And then they've got players up front, like Johnny Russell's one I've always been impressed with. I don't know about you guys, but he's a proper championship striker for me. So they're one of those ones that could really be in and around there. But to be honest, I'd say that you look at most of the teams down in the league. I mean, we're only five games in, so positions are really irrelevant at the moment. But you'd say most of the teams have a good chance of getting in that top six. And it's, if you know... There's, it's a real cliche of the championship, but there's always that one team at the end that sort of surges into the playoffs and then gets promotion. We didn't really see that last year, though, did we? Yeah, you know, I think the top six pretty much stayed the same for the last sort of couple of months of the season. I seem to remember last last year because Norwich were kind of trying to chase them, but they always seemed to be sort of like ten points ahead of us. Before the season started, I thought on, on paper at least, I thought it was, and I, and I know this is often said at the start of, of every championship season. But to me, it did look like one of the toughest to get out of, um, especially due really to kind of the, the amount of quality um, coaches at this level, um, uh, coaches and managers at, the, at this level. You know, you've got a lot of managers at teams who have either, you know, these managers have either won promotion before from this division or, or certainly been po- part of a coaching setup to do that, or are kind of got big reputations. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how the season develops. Five games in a 46-game season is nothing. Yeah, I think Newcastle, who ended up being champions last season, you know, they started poorly, didn't they? I, se- I seem to recall last year. So, yeah, they're, they're, they're still cliche another cliche coming up here there's still plenty to play for in in, in the coming months and and i think we're going to make this um probably a week um uh, monthly pod so it's going to be interesting to see kind of how things change month to month you know a team kind of in the bottom three at the moment hopefully norwich for example might be in the playoffs um when we when we're talking again um at the end of september yeah, I mean, you talk about the managers there, Adam. I'd also say, look at the amount of money being spent. I mean, I've already meant uh, Middlesbrough. I'm not sure we've even touched on Wolves and the amount of money they've spent. It's just ridiculous amounts of money in the championship these days. 
yeah, some of their uh, recruitment. I mean, obviously, there's that link with George Mendes, which is attracting a lot of attention. But you know, being able to get uh, Ruben Neves from Porto, um, that you know, he he was on the radar of a lot of Premier League clubs. And, you know, they managed to get um, Helder Costa last season as well. And he, he looked, you know, too good for the division. So it's it's going to be really fascinating to see how, how they do. And, you know, Nuno Espirito Santos, someone with you know, a lot of high level experience. You know, I think he was at Valencia before. I didn't Obviously, no one's really done well at Valencia. But, you know, he's he's used to working with some big players at Porto as well. So, I yeah, I think that that could be like quite a decisive factor. And it's really a fascinating league in terms of well, not only um, the chance to see a lot of good young players coming through who, who aren't getting the opportunity at Premier League clubs, but also, you know, it's, it's an interesting melting pot of um, managerial talent as well. There's, you know, it seems it's almost like the place where you have to cut your teeth and prove yourself before getting a chance. And, you know, people like Paul Hecking, Heckingbottom at Barnsley, uh, Lee Johnson at Bristol city, you know, there's, there's some, there's some interesting uh, younger uh, English managers there and and then you've got some uh, established uh, foreign names like Slutsky like you know Espirito Santo and people like Carvajal at West uh, sorry Wednesday have done done well before so I think there's um I think that's what makes it such a, a fascinating league really you know just speaking from personal experience you know as, as a Villa fan you know it's a lot of the league's fairly fairly new to me so and just sort of having spent you know a season down here now you realize how competitive and and how much you know interest that there is um so i think it's you know a bit of an antidote to maybe the, the premier league for for some people so yeah it's gonna be interesting uh do we think a, a player to watch out for you know if you had to put your money on on someone that that you're looking forward to seeing more of guys yeah i, I was just thinking about this earlier and and one other thing i, I just want to mention off the back of this, I, I kind of wanted to do a, a championship pod last season, but the fact that I, you know, living here, over here in Chile, you know, it's obviously very difficult for me to to catch many matches. Um, you know, the, the Norwich game has to be on on Sky basically, or, or or I won't be able to see it on a on a stream. But this season, of course, that's very different. So us overseas fans um, can watch every game pretty much um, live on, on a stream. And on, on a service called iFollow for a club, I, I don't know if Birmingham and, and Villa are both offering that as well. But yeah, that's how I've seen every Norwich game so far. And so I, I will I will talk about kind of a couple of the Norwich players that have impressed me so far. We got Angus Gunn on loan from Manchester City, and this was even though it was a goalkeeper, it was still an exciting signing for Norwich because of course. He is the son of uh, Norwich City legend Brian Gunn and regular listeners to uh, World Football Index. If you listened to my 11 pieces of me a few months ago, you would have known that, you know, Brian Gunn is one of my heroes. So it's been great to see Angus Gunn in goal for Norwich. And despite the fact that we've conceded more goals than any other team, he hasn't really made a mistake so far. Um, all, All the goals against us really, he couldn't have done anything about. But, but to me, he does look quite a talented goalkeeper. And from what I've seen so far, he's, he's going to have plenty to do as well. So plenty of practice ahead of him. We've also got Harrison Reed on loan from Southampton, who is a kind of a passing holding midfielder. And in the games where we've, we've, 
we've played well. So Fulham and in the second half against the uh, Queens Park Rangers, he he was very he was very impressive. Even in the defeat against Sunderland, I thought he was one of our better players. And we've also got James Madison, who is an attacking midfielder, really. But Farker has kind of employed, um, deployed him in a kind of a slightly deeper role and kind of centre midfield. And with the right player beside him, he's also um, an interesting player to watch. You know, Reed and um, Madison are two players who barely give the ball ball away, really. But the problem is, a couple of times they have done it, <laughs> the opposition have scored. So, um, so yeah, I, I, th- I think that's more down to the system rather than the, than, than the players we've got. But yeah, that's three names there. Despite our, we- our, our pretty poor start to the season, those three players have impressed me, at least. How about you, Thomas? Going a bit, when you look at players to keep an eye on, I tend to look at younger players, but the one player I quite like the look of and have liked the look of for a long time, somebody like Billy Sharp, a proper goal-getter and a legend at Sheffield United. You know, he's very proven at this sort of level. And if Sheffield United have any chance of staying up or even pushing up to the higher echelons of the division, then if Billy Sharp performs well, then Sheffield United are pretty much guaranteed to perform well. Yeah, that's not a bad call. Um as we as we mentioned earlier, Tom, you know, I, I really I really rated um Keenan Davis's performance against against Norwich a couple of, a couple of um weeks ago. Um you've also got the the guy on loan from Tottenham, remind me of his name. Josh Onimer, who who was a uh, our man of the match against Bristol City and he's slowly finding his way in. Um yeah, with it, like even though we've brought in some sort of seasoned veterans like Whelan and Terry um, we've actually got quite a youthful um, sort of core running running through the squads, and um, I think the one player, if you know, I had to mention any Villa young player, it would be Andre Green, who kind of plays left wing or as kind of a left forward, um, likes to cut in on his right. Um, you know, he was a bit unlucky last season, didn't um, kind of hit the woodwork quite a few times or missed some good opportunities, but with uh, with his goal against Norwich, sorry to keep bringing that up, Adam. Um, I think he can take some confidence from that and, and he's definitely, I think he's almost overtaken Grealish now as the young player in the Villa squad who's everyone's most excited about. So he'd definitely be one. Uh, I think also Conor Hurahan's um, potentially on for a really big season. He's um, He's got a really good left foot and he's a very dangerous from set pieces and provides a lot of assists. Um, and yeah, he's chip, chipping in with some more goals now. So from a Villa point of view, they're they're the kind of main guys that I'm looking at. Um, I think, you know, there's some, there's some great players in the division. I think uh, Kearney at Fulham's is great. And obviously Ryan Sessegnon is a good young player there as well. Um, I, I'm a big fan of uh, Neves at Wolves. So I'll be, I'll be keeping an eye on him as well. And yeah, you know, there's, uh, there's, there's some interesting players at, at Hull as well. I think Grzycki, um could be a player who, who does very well. And I mentioned, uh, I think Jared Bowen, uh, he's he, he's been very good as well. So there's 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 a lot of good good talent there. Is, is there anyone from Birmingham we should be keeping on Thomas? Yeah, I mean the uh, I mean he's injured at the moment, but I'd look at somebody like Che Adams. We got I mean another Sheffield United reference. We bought him from there last year. Started out in non non league at Ilkeston, but he's come from. I think we signed him for about a million and a half from uh, Sheffield United last year. Did well last season despite our sort of struggles. Just had a very good start to the campaign this time around, scored a couple of goals, but now he's been injured. But when he gets back, he'll be a player to really look out for, nice and young. I mean, I know Derby have been in for him, obviously the Gary Rout connection there. I mean, they did something really miserly. I think Gary Rout was having a bit of a joke, to be honest. I think it was like 
two or three million pound bid, but he's worth quite a lot more than that. And if he does move on, which I I, I think he probably will at the end of the season, if we if we don't go up, then uh, he will command a big fee. So I was thinking, just to put you guys on the spot, who are your three play uh, three teams that you think will go up? Wow, I wasn't expecting that. That's a that's a big question at this stage. Um, just just to give a quick mention to to one team we we haven't mentioned so far, and, and they lost one of their key players the other day um, in the shape of Chris Wood, and that's Leeds United, of course. But they are one of two sides unbeaten at the moment, so it'll be interesting to see how they do as the season goes on. As for a three to go up, then. Well, from what I've seen of, of Norwich so far, I don't think we've got much of a chance. I think uh, I think Middlesbrough will come good. Uh, it's, it's, it's just so difficult, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, sorry, a bit of a curveball there, but you know, I've got to keep you on your toes, Adam. <laughs> it's always that playoff position that's always there as well, because that's the one... I mean, I know you mentioned that last season it didn't really happen, but there was always the one that picks up a bit, and that's, that's the really tricky one to pick out, I think. The fact that whole... Uh, are scoring a lot of goals and, and Wolves as well I think I, I think I can see both of them being in the top six come the end of the season but yeah I've, I'll, I'll, I know the other team actually I'm, I'm really not sure in the playoffs maybe Wolves are whole for the playoffs but I'll go with the top two of Middlesbrough and Fulham there you go I'd, I'd agree with you on the Fulham shout I think the Fulham one's a good one very good yeah, last season yeah I think they're, they're really one to look out for um, another one. <laughs> this way it gets difficult. Middlesbrough have spent a lot of money. You can't ignore that. Gary Monk, decent manager. So I think I'll go. It's, the thing is, I'm looking at the table at the moment, and the positions are just a mess. And I'm just thinking, stop looking at the positions. Just look at them as names, because that's all that matters at the moment. So I'm thinking Middlesbrough and Fulham as my top two. Playoffs. Ooh, I don't know. I mean, if Villa come good in the next couple of weeks, they could go on a run. Steve Bruce has won promotion a lot of times from this division. I think that's that's a possible one. I think the, the big doubt I have about Villa is this away form and, and how much of a psychological issue that is. Yeah, it really is massive. I think I saw a stat on TV the other day is we've, in the top uh, four leagues, we have the worst or, uh, away records over the last seven years. I think we've only won about... 18% of our away games in that time. So that is that is definitely the biggest um, thing holding Villa back right now. And we've got too used to uh, just not winning on the road. So, I mean, I think, you know, in, the, in this division, if you have a strong home form and you can pick up draws and the odd win away, then, you know, that, that that's pr- promotion form. And I'm, I think with the squad that Villa have got and the money we've spent, you know, we have to be getting in, in the playoffs. You know, I don't want to come across as a, you know, arrogant Villa fan, you know, but in terms of the the ramifications financially that us not getting up, that they're, it's pretty much, you know, last chance saloon in terms of if we want to get up, we, we have to do it this season. Otherwise, we could be uh, stuck in the championship for quite a while. So, I mean, I'm, I'm back in Villa to finish in the, in the playoffs, at least, and then from there it, it's a lottery. I I definitely go along with the uh, Fulham being up there. I, th- I think they'll be one of the top two, and then yeah, so, someone like Middlesbrough, Wolves, yeah, e- e- even Leeds. I think could um could go well. I like I like Samu Saez. I think he's a good signing for them, um, and and maybe Hull. I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, despite them being a bit of a basket case at times, 
I think Slutsky's a great appointment as a manager and I wouldn't be surprised to see them go up. But yeah, fingers crossed for Villa, but we'll see. <laughs> OK, I, I think that wraps up the show, guys. We're, we're obviously hopeful of getting a few more guests on the, on the show as the season progresses. But yeah, if, if you're a listener to the show and, and you fancy doing some podcasting and you support one of the championship clubs, then um, yeah, don't hesitate to get in touch with me and, uh, and we'll discuss it from there. Guys, anything to plug? First up, Thomas. Uh, yeah, I mean, Adam, like I mentioned earlier, the Russian Football News podcast that's on the, the Russian, well, it's on the World Football Index. Do listen to that. We've got a good, we've just released a good episode. I think that came out today. Uh, we've been talking about the latest draw, which has seen Spartak and Siska draw some uh, English teams, so obviously English language listeners. And then we've actually got a good discussion about reforming the lower tiers of Russian football, which are just so horrendously organised. So we've have, had a bit of a discussion about that. Okay, that sounds interesting. Going to give that a listen in a bit. And Tom? Yeah, well, you can find me and Austin doing the WFI Spotlight pods. Um, we've done quite a few of them now, and um, I'm sure with a with a transfer window drawing to close, there there'll be a, a lot of interest in some of those players, um, and we'll we'll continue doing them through the season. So keep keep posted on that. And um, other than that, then you know the Argentinian league has just kicked off. So keep a track of me on Twitter uh, at tomrobo89. And you'll, you'll see plenty of uh, information and, and chat about Argentinian football and obviously a fair bit of Villa stuff as well. So, yeah. Yeah, well, uh, from my perspective, you, you can follow me um, on Twitter at AdamBrandon84. I'm not doing too much to the website at the moment, mainly due to having to translate documents on Chilean architecture. But yeah, hopefully <laughs> that will clear up soon and I can get back to doing some writing about South American football. Um, so, yeah, be sure to, to check out our South American podcast, including the, the, the scouting podcast that, um, that Austin and Tom do, which is always an excellent listen. Um, later in the week, of course, is the South American World Cup qualifiers, which is one of my highlights of the, of the football calendar. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm already getting nervous about about Chile's big match against Paraguay coming up in that. And, and we'll be recording a show at the end of this week, so look out for that um, at, the, at the weekend. And that's all from us here at the World Football Index. So thank you, Thomas and Tom, for coming on and, and um, helping me discuss the, the big topics in the championship in, in August. And um, hopefully we'll do this again next month. Thank you again to our listeners and goodbye. <laughs>